Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 47 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading Acts chapter 19 today, and our focus is on the fullness or the receiving of the Holy Spirit and Paul's discipleship strategy for reaching Asia Minor. So this is a daily 10-minute podcast where we dig into the Word of God one chapter at a time, thinking about it, discussing it, and asking questions of the text. Welcome to new listeners in Queensland, Australia, Para State, Brazil, West Bengal, India, Parts Unknown, Russia, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Peoria, Illinois. Thank you all for listening. I feel like I say so often in this daily podcast that such and such a chapter is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible a lot. I guess I do have a few dozen or so chapters that really stick out to me, and this chapter, Acts 19, is really one of them. You have a tremendous amount of action here. A huge riot that shakes up a whole city, seven poser brothers beaten naked and bleeding by a demon-possessed man, a massive and expensive book burning, and a handful of believers who are baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. Well, let's start there. We have several instances in the book of the Acts when the Holy Spirit comes in power. Sometimes his coming is referred to as a baptism, sometimes as a receiving, and sometimes as a filling, and honestly, sometimes in other ways too. Interestingly, the thing about the book of Acts, in the way it describes the coming of the Holy Spirit, there doesn't seem to be a set pattern, contrary to the doctrines of some believers and denominations. In Acts, we see the Holy Spirit come after somebody has been saved for quite some time, as we see in today's chapter, and sometimes we see the Holy Spirit come as people are being saved, like right in the moment, as is the case with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Sometimes believers are filled with power and cast out demons. Sometimes they are filled with boldness to witness about Jesus. Sometimes, but not every time, they speak in tongues, just like Acts 10. And sometimes, like in today's passage, they speak in tongues and prophesy. Well, we should be very careful about looking at one or two instances of the coming of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and building concrete doctrines on just those one or two instances, as if we fully understood the actions and signs and ways and methods of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't an it. It's not. He is not an impersonal force. He is a he, the third person of the Trinity, and he does not always conform to our limited understandings of him. Now, we could have spent a lot of time here, but since this is a 10-minute, roughly, podcast, allow me to just simply remind us all that we should look to the whole of God's Word to develop our theology and not just pick and choose from just a few places. With that said, let's read our entire passage, and then we're going to discuss Paul's amazing discipleship strategy. Acts chapter 19, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized? He asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now there were about twelve men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. 
But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two and a half years, so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands, so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them, so that they ran out of that house naked and wounded. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both the Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had been become new believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. After these events, Paul resolved by the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. After I've been there, he said, it is necessary for me to see Rome as well. After sending to Macedonia two of those who assisted him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there was a major disturbance about the way, for a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. When he had assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, Men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. You see and hear not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this man Paul has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hands are not gods. Not only do we run a risk that our business be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised and her magnificence come to the verge of ruin, the very one all of Asia and the world worship. And when they heard this, they were filled with rage and began to cry out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they all rushed together into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. Although Paul wanted to go before the people, the disciples did not let him. Even some of the provincial officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent word to him, pleading with him not to venture into the amphitheater. Some were shouting one thing and some another because the assembly was in confusion and most of them did not even know why they came together. Some Jews in the crowd gave instructions to Alexander after they pushed him up to the front, motioning with his hand Alexander wanted to make his defense to the people, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! When the city clerk had calmed the crowd down, he said, People of Ephesus! What person is there who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great Artemis and of the image that fell from heaven? Therefore, since these things are undeniable, you must keep calm and not do anything rash. For you have brought these men here who are not temple robbers or blasphemers of our goddess. So if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a case against anyone, the courts are in session and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. 
But if you seek anything further, it must be decided in a legal assembly. In fact, we run a risk of being charged with rioting for what's happened today, since there's no justification that we can give as a reason for this disturbance. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. Well, verse 10 is pretty fascinating. It says that Paul's discussions in the lecture hall of Tyrannus went on daily for 10 years so that all of the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Now, we would do well to remember that Asia in the first century did not refer to all of China, Japan, Bangladesh, India, etc., but more to Asia Minor. Still, it's a remarkable passage. How was such a large region so impacted that the Bible can indicate that everyone there at least heard the word of God? Well, Paul's strategy, no doubt inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit, is really pretty amazing. After leaving the synagogues, Paul goes to this secular place, these sec- secular lecture halls uh, of Tyrannus. Now, we don't know if that's a, a Greek or a Jewish person. We don't know anything about Tyrannus. But Paul there teaches and discusses Jesus every day for two years. Now, I can tell you that this strategy, specifically the part where Paul uses a secular worldly medium to teach and discuss the word daily for two whole years, was a big inspiration for me to engage in daily podcasting last year and to continue it in this year. Two years of daily discussions and teachings about Jesus out in the public. Perhaps more church leaders, evangelists, and pastors like me should utilize this particular approach of Paul, as I suspect it would actually be really quite fruitful today. John Piper has also committed this strategy, noting, Just as Jesus is gathering a people with the word of God from a fishing boat, so Peter and the followers of Jesus will gather people like fishers of men with the word of God. I think it's significant that he taught the people... Verse 3 says, Jesus sat down and began teaching. At times he proclaims, other times he teaches. Both are important in the life of the church today. But I want to suggest that in our evangelism and our fishing for men with the bait of the work of God, it should involve a lot of teaching, a lot of explaining. We live in a society that does not know the true nature of God and the gospel. They don't know the God-centered nature of what sin is and what God's glory and law are and who Christ is and what happened on the cross and what faith is and what love is and what heaven and hell are. Therefore, to win these people, we need to develop structures of teaching. And I don't mean only formal teaching. I don't mean stop sharing the short testimonies and snapshots of Jesus But let's add ways of offering unbelievers more and more of Christ so they can can make a credible response to a whole message. Let's dream and plan and be aggressive in our love for lost people by coming up ways with ways that we can keep telling them and showing them more and more truth. Jesus was teaching in the boat to illustrate man fishing. This seems to be the way that Paul did it sometimes in Acts 19, 9-10, Luke said Paul reasoned daily in the halls of Tyrannus, that is, he taught. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. What a great church planning strategy, teaching unbelievers daily and discussing with them in a public call about the Christian worldview for two years. That's the first mark of disciples who do fishing for men. They teach the word of God. Amen. And may we do the same. Let's close with our verse for the month of February, Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Amen. And may the Lord bless you, friends. Good day and Godspeed.